0: Good morning to you, friends, members, and guests at 1548 Heights. Grace and peace to you in abundance. I'm very glad. Angela and I are glad to be back with you. After a weekend away last week, uh, we met our little guy and our son-in-law and daughter at, uh, in Lake Tahoe for four days, and that was just a great experience to get away and get out of this weather, frankly. Um, 6,000 feet up there. It was just, just amazing. My sweet daughter got me up early on Sunday morning <clears throat> to go on a hike. She is part cheetah, part mountain goat, but she uh, dragged me up the mountain. Here's a little picture of us. Look at that scenery. Isn't that amazing? Mm-mm. At any rate, I'm glad to be back with you. We are a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. For God's glory, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of the world. I just love being on mission with you. I want to thank Kyle Strickland for preaching for us last week. Uh, He paid you really nice compliments about how warm and welcoming you were. Thank you for that. Today, we are going to to the second of two messages on the patriarch Jacob from Genesis. I explained in the first message kind of who the patriarchs were and the story of God and the situation with Isaac and Rebekah, the parents, and Jacob and Esau, the brothers. And we're going to recap that today and then look at the second part. If you find it helpful to follow along, there's an outline in your bulletin, and if you want to get really motivated, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 33 today. So let's just recap. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, and the sons are struggling even in the womb. They're wrestling with each other, and when they are born, Esau is born first, and is- uh, uh Jacob is born holding on to Esau's heel. And so he's called Jacob who grasped the heel. That's what it means. But it's a euphemism for the deceiver, or the manipulator. And that's what Jacob grows up to be, a deceiver and a manipulator. It doesn't help that his brother Esau is a manly man, outdoorsman, and is his father's favorite. Uh, Jacob likes to stay behind with the women and children, and he is his mother's favorite. So you got a little thing going on there. Uh, eventually... Jacob deceives Esau out of his birthright and then later deceives his father into giving him Esau's blessing. Everybody got that? A double deception. Well, by this time, Esau, as an adult, wants to kill his brother. And so Jacob's mother says, you need to go far away. And by the way, you need to find a wife. Find them from my tribe, not the tribes around here. So go away. So Jacob goes away. And he meets the love of his life, Rachel. And he works seven years to earn the marriage. For, works for his to-be father-in-law, uh, Rebecca's brother. Got all this? <laughs> Do a little Jenny Graham map. <laughs> but anyway, and he is deceived in turn. Because uh, uh, Laban tricks him, and he makes him work another seven more years. And in the end, he marries two sisters. One he loves, Rachel, and one he accepted as a wife, Leah. Then he works six more years for Laban. Finally, because he has prospered so much, Laban sort of turns against him. And he also hears from the Lord that it's time to go home. So we're picking it up where it's time to go home. In the last message, we talked about Jacob wrestling with God and how this profoundly changed him. But as we pick it up today, Esau is coming north to meet Jacob. Jacob is coming south to go home, and he knows there's going to be a meeting. And he knows that his brother uh, is very angry at him. And he knows there needs to be some reconciliation. And we're going to talk today about reconciliation and forgiveness. Now, neither of those terms is used in this story, but they're, they're there, okay? And so just picture that. Esau is coming. Jacob is heading towards him. There's going to be a collision. So read with me now Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to comment as we go. On things of particular importance now Jacob this is after his encounter with the angel the divine figure it's changed his life Jacob looked up oh my goodness it's upon me and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him look you don't bring 400 men to care for anything other than weapons and to make battle I mean that's the implication here Esau is bringing his own personal army to meet his brother. So Jacob divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He puts the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Do You see what's going on there? Jacob is putting the least important people to him in front, and then Leah with her children, second most important, and then the two he cherishes, Rachel and Joseph and back. He himself went on ahead of them. Remember last time we talked about how Jacob hid behind his family? Now he goes in front of them because he's a new man. He, went, he himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. There's an ancient Hebrew word used to describe what Jacob is doing here. It's called groveling. <laughs> bows seven times as he approaches his brother. He is that worried about his brother's wrath. I, I, I like wolves, and I've seen a lot of videos and read books on wolves, and this is like pack behavior to the alpha wolf. You come in low, <laughs> and you just reach up and lick the alpha wolf's chops just to let him know you are submitting. And that's really what Jacob's doing. But look, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. What a beautiful picture. Scholars wonder, even assume, that Jesus has this in mind as he tells the parable of the prodigal son how the father runs out to meet the wayward son and embraces him and kisses him. And there it is. Not wrath, not revenge. Embrace, kiss, weep. We continue, verse 5. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you, Jacob? Jacob says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor with my Lord. I just want to be accepted by you, brother. I want to be in your favor. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Did you hear what Esau called him? My brother. I have enough, my brother. Again, shades of the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, This son of yours, well, this brother of yours. Verse 9. Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So Jacob urged Esau, and Esau took the gift. Wow, wow. So how do we unpack all this? First, here's a slide, a picture, uh, 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 a portrait, or what do you call these? Artwork done in the Middle Ages. You know, they depict Jacob Uh, kneeling down, and Esau, look at what Esau is wearing, military garb, all the men with him, military garb. That's just the way it's always been construed that uh, Esau was prepared for battle. But how do we unpack this? First, make this note, friend. (laughs) Jacob and Esau are brothers in conflict. They are brothers in conflict. They've been in conflict all their lives. They were in conflict in the womb. I mean, that has been their story. And they are not the only brothers in the Bible who are portrayed as being in conflict. I mean, it's kind of almost a theme. Think of Genesis 3 or 4, whichever one of those. But anyway, uh, what does Cain do when he gets jealous of his brother? He kills him. Am I my brother's keeper? So the very first two brothers in the Bible are in conflict with each other. After Jacob and Esau, we see David, King David, in conflict with his brothers. Jacob and Esau are brothers in conflict, and we see this uh, not seldomly in the Bible. You know, uh, I have a younger brother, and we had quite a bit of conflict in our lives. I was the proverbial older, domineering brother, according to him, quite bullying and it really did affect us for many years quite a bit of tension and most of that has ebbed away over time but it's 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 not entirely gone and this is just part of life it seems brothers in conflict make this note friends many families have conflicted relationships many families have conflicted relationships uh, may I see a show of hands uh, if you have any conflict in your family? Okay. Yeah, the rest of you are just too tired from the heat to raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, gosh, it just it seems to be a part of life. I, I heard, I've heard over and over again uh, anecdotes of after the 2016 presidential elections of families not being able to get together. Thanksgiving meals anymore. There's just too much tension. Well, you voted for old, oh, what's his name? The one whose name can't be spoken. Well, yeah, but you didn't vote for him. And then 2020, it just continues. Can you? Families in conflict over politics. Money. <laughs> Money's a, a frequent source of conflict. Uh, I have some friends who. Uh, had to divide an inheritance among a number of brothers and sisters. Man, you think that went smoothly? Conflict, conflict in families. Uh, Mark Twain said, if you really want to know someone, divide an inheritance with them. George Burns said, the late comedian, happiness is having a loving, close-knit, warm family in another city. Um... Religion is sometimes the source of family conflict. Uh, People don't adhere to or don't commit themselves to or they do or they disagree. I mean, many families have conflicted relationships. But here's the overarching truth and good news, friends. God's heart is for reconciliation. God's heart is is for reconciliation would you say that with me God's heart is for reconciliation reconciliation at its most basic meaning is to bring together all right if you're in finance you know about reconciling accounts some of us who are old enough still reconcile their checkbooks at the end of every month. You have the bank statement and the checkbook, and you reconcile them till they agree. By the way, a checkbook is a little paper product that uh, you, (laughs) you know, uh, and so you're bringing two things together, and this is so central to the gospel because it's God's heart listen to how the apostle Paul describes it 2nd Corinthians 5 18 through 20 all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Friend, this is the gospel. That God says, you and I are estranged and I love you and I am pursuing you and what is estranging us is your sinfulness, your pride and wanting to be your own God and I want to bring us together. That's the gospel. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, 20 through 22. And through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, deeds, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel, but wait, friends. <laughs> it's not just in that salvation context. We're called to be ministers, ambassadors of reconciliation. Listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Read this with me, Matthew 5, 24. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you pause right there did you notice that it's not if you if you remember that you have something against a brother or sister your conscience is bothering you then get up and go make it right he says if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you you're perfectly at peace you don't care but that's not what he's saying look what he says next Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying is you take the initiative, you be the ambassador of reconciliation, even if the problem isn't that you are carrying conflict. Now, make this note. <laughs> Reconciliation can be messy and hard, okay? Uh, It can be messy and hard. Um, Here's what happens with Jacob and Esau. I mean, Esau is just so loving and welcoming, and he says, Jacob, I want us to travel back home together. And, and, And Jacob says, well, you know, my... My wives and kids and everything, they're pretty slow. We'll probably slow you down. You, you go on ahead. And Jacob says, okay, well, can I leave some of my men with you to protect you and help you come back home? And Jacob goes, well, you know, that's probably not a good idea. You go on ahead to Seir, and I'll meet you there. And Jacob says, okay, brother, I'll go to Seir, and we'll meet there, and we'll be reconciled, brothers. Jacob goes to Sukkoth. He goes to Sukkoth instead, and he settles there. He deceives Esau again. They are reconciled, but they're not going to be best friends forever. I mean reconciliation can be messy and hard like that. The only other time we hear of Jacob and Esau together is when, good for them, they bury their father Isaac together. So reconciliation can be messy and hard. Uh, Here's a picture of the way I see Jacob and Esau. (laughs) They're reconciled, shaking hands, but there's a little chasm between them because they know Or at least jacob feels it's better that we not be too close you know what's that mark twain said good fences make good neighbors a hundred miles of separation probably makes us better together Uh, i decided to read uh, philip yancey's book the scandal of forgiveness it was on my kindle and i thought it might relate somehow to this message so when we went to tahoe I decided to read it because why go on a family vacation unless you can sit alone and read and avoid any com- fellowship? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's just offended. Can, do we have that picture, dude? Uh, yeah. Uh, Philip Yancey, The Scandal of Forgiveness, Grace Put to the Test. Oh, it's a thin little book, but oh, what a powerhouse. He just ta- tells, talks about forgiveness and the absolute power of forgiveness, story after story, personal stories world stories about how powerful this now reconciliation is broader than forgiveness but forgiveness is almost always part of reconciliation who had to do the forgiving between Jacob and Esau Esau right someone had to forgive and Yancey talks about the truth and reconciliation commission here's a picture of their banner in South Africa from 1996 to 1998. You remember South Africa labored under uh, apartheid, which was the government-sponsored, legalized uh, segregation, and the, the fewer whites ruled over the, the more numerous blacks, and it was quite the conflict. And when Nelson Mandela became president, I don't know all the details, but somehow they, it developed, with Bishop Desmond Tutu leading the charge that they would have a truth and reconciliation commu- commission. Do you, see the, do you see the significance of that? It's not just a truth commission, and it's not just a reconciliation commission. It's a truth and reconciliation commission. And people came forward, and they testified of the abuses they had suffered under apartheid. They told the truth as a part of a larger reconciliation. And these three uh, contrasts were some that uh, Yancey used. He said it was about restoration, not retribution, forgiveness, not prosecution, and reparation, not retaliation. And it was an incredibly powerful and healing, I think, for the most part, experience for the people of South Africa because there was not the retribution. Okay, now that we're in power, we're going to punish you the way you punished us. That reconciliation and forgiveness is so powerful, switching countries and eras, uh, during the U.S. Civil War, Abraham Lincoln received a lot of criticism. Yeah, don't put the picture up yet. Because he was too magnanimous towards the South. He said, we're not going to castigate them. We're, we're going we're gonna to welcome them as brothers and sisters when we win this war. And think about the contrast in Rome... When an army conquered another army, they hauled them into the streets of Rome and led them as captives through the streets. They paraded them through the streets. They humiliated them, and many in the north wanted the people of the south to be humiliated and to be punished. And Lincoln just said, that's not going to heal our country. That's That's not what we need. And he was continually magnanimous. And General Ulysses Grant, who was the commanding general of the Union Army, the North, the victorious army, at the surrender meeting with, help me, Richard, Robert E. Lee. Richard was dozing off there, but I got him right there. Grant was completely magnanimous. Uh, He allowed every... Confederate soldier who owned a horse to bring the horse home with him so that the horse could be used for his crops and resuming the life. And this was Lincoln's response among many, but this crystallized it to his critics. Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? reconciliation. You can destroy your enemies if you want, but that, does that achieve reconciliation? Does that uh, get rid of the conflict? No, usually just increases it. Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? This is what Jesus is talking about. Be ambassadors of reconciliation. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. I got a text from a a preacher this week, a colleague of mine in a distant state, and I will be very vague about this. And he said, would you be willing to talk sometime? Because my church is about to split. You know, there's a group of people that the elders felt were getting too powerful and trying to run a certain area of the church's ministry and now the two are just battling and clashing and and i don't see anyone acting like jesus and i'll tell you neither neither i nor any of the other ministers have an appetite for this and he mistakenly thought i'd been through something like this that's why he texted me but you know (laughs) the stories are legion uh, do I not destroy my enemies by making them my friends? Yeah, but that's not, that takes a lot of maturity. Can't I just be immature? One of my mentors, the late Charles Seibert, who is a mentor to many, many ministers, said this, in any conflict, someone has to decide to be the adult in the room. And he said, sometimes I don't want to be the adult. You know? And so reconciliation is at the heart of God. It's our commission and call. And it can be messy and hard. I'm going to pray and... uh, Ashton has picked a song, Oh, Come to the Altar, that I want to just use to invite you that if you have conflict in your life with someone, whether it's a family member or someone else significant in your life, and you know that needs reconciliation, and maybe you're thinking, well, maybe it'll come if they do this or that. I, I, I want to just encourage you and exhort you, be be, be the one be the adult. Make the approach. Offer something for a, a healing there. Because reconciliation is so powerful. Forgiveness is so powerful. Saying to someone, look, whatever I've done, I ask your forgiveness. And I want you to know that whatever you've done, I forgive you. Can we have peace together. And I ask this in the love of Jesus Christ. I'm not able to do this on my own. And so as we sing, I want to encourage you just to pray. As you, say, as you hear these words, pray for that conflict. Pray for that person and pray for yourself as God's ambassador of reconciliation. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's hard, it's hard to to step into reconciliation, but it's so rich if we will trust you for that. And we, we just think of how much we lose being in conflict with people and how much they lose and how much the kingdom of God loses. And so I pray for each of us, Lord, who has conflict in our lives, would you, would you by your Holy Spirit impel us to step into that as a peacemaker, to help bring healing and trusting that you always step in with us. Lord, we are never alone when we step into conflict as peacemakers. Thank you for the story of Jacob and Esau. We pray for your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.